0: Throughout this year, we've been taking time on the first Lord's Day of each month to have a sermon that rises out of one of the Psalms. It's in keeping with an annual theme of learning to love the Psalms. We've seen a wide variety of types of praise that are given to the Lord, including some really exalting passages where the glory of God is declared. Some that have considered the works of God's hands some that have led us to meditate on uh, on the church and on the redemption that we have. Today, we will be uh, thinking of Psalm 130, hearing it read, and I'll preach from it. It is what we call a penitential psalm, a psalm of repentance. Listen as I read Psalm 130. A song of ascents. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. No study of the psalms would be complete if it left out the penitential psalms. There does seem to be a tendency to think of the psalms as merely expressions of praise. You might think of all of the hallelujahs that are the last psalms of the book of psalms. And the way that uh, there are many places where we say praise the Lord, bless the Lord, and we're lifted up to to sing and to praise God in those ways. But the psalms are more than that. The psalms also to lead us to confess our sins. And in this psalm to also recognize the forgiveness that comes through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so this is a penitential psalm. There's something of a grouping of those. They are scattered all throughout the Psalter. You can look and find seven different psalms that are considered psalms of repentance. You may be most familiar with Psalm 51. When we think of psalms of forgiveness and repentance, we often immediately turn to David and his confession of his sin with Bathsheba. Now, that was a psalm that we had as a psalm of the month earlier in the year while we were still doing meditations and So I wanted to pick up a different penitential psalm, and so I've chosen Psalm 130. I also want to call your attention to the fact it's in another grouping too. It is one of the songs of ascent. And just by way of introduction, let me remind you of what that means. These 13 songs of ascent are all physically grouped together. And they were thought to have been used while the children of Israel were gathering together and going up to Jerusalem on the Passover to worship the Lord. Now, Jerusalem is, uh, is higher in elevation. And so there's some sense of actually literally going up the hill to reach Jerusalem, to come to the temple or the tabernacle, to celebrate the worship of our Lord. And so in this psalm, you can imagine the gathering of the children of Israel, the gathering of the Old Testament church to come together at Jerusalem and all coming up the hill to where the temple is, ascending to the Mount of the Lord with words of repentance on their lips, with words of repentance meditated on their, on their minds and, and in their hearts. And there's something good and something natural about that that we'll see in a few moments. We, along with the Old Testament children of Israel, also gather before the Lord and we come in worship with songs and words of repentance and the assurance of forgiveness that God gives. And so today, as I walk through this psalm, I invite you to think of how there is something of a beginning in the depths and ascension that takes place, not physically, but spiritually, as the Lord hears our cries of repentance and as he promises forgiveness through Jesus Christ, our Savior. I've taken 1 John 1, 9 as something of a memorable way, a memorable theme for this message, It may be one that you've memorized. If you haven't, I encourage it. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We'll see that worked out in Psalm 130. We begin with repentance. We begin in the depths. Out of the depths, I have cried to you, O Lord, Is the way the psalm begins. It starts at that very low point. Admitting and acknowledging the depths of our sin and the depths of our condition without the forgiveness that we have in Christ. What do you think of when you hear that term, out of the depths? Maybe... Maybe the children think of going swimming during the summertime. There's a shallow end, and there's a deep end at the pool, right? And if you haven't learned how to swim yet, do you ever go and swim in the deep end? Not yet. It's because without knowing how to swim, you would sink under the water. The Old Testament writers used the word depths to refer to the dangers of the sea. It was a very dangerous thing to go sailing on the Mediterranean or even on the smaller uh, Sea of Galilee or the Dead Sea. It was dangerous because your boat could be upset, you could be turned over and then overwhelmed by the raging of the sea covered by the waves, and be drowned underneath them. So there's something of a terrifying expression by that phrase, out of the depths I cry to you. The psalmist and the rest of the Old Testament attaches then to that physical fear of the ocean and the seas. They attach to it a similar type of distress that comes upon us spiritually because of our sin. Out of the depths of my sin, I cry to the Lord. It is a common phrase, and I'll just call your attention to one other place that makes it uh, as clear as this as well. Psalm 69 says, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck just imagine the the terror of of not being able to get out the waters have come up to my neck i sink in deep mire where there is no standing i have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me because of our sin we are in this condition without the salvation of jesus christ We are dead in our sins. It's not just like we are floundering in the water trying to keep our head up. It is worse than that. We are, in fact, dead at the bottom of the ocean, completely overwhelmed by our sin. And that would be bad enough, but the psalm goes on to say, and that, that our sins overwhelm us, but also the wrath of God that is justly pronounced against sin also stands against us. And the weight of the judgment of God adds to the distress of that situation. This is the way the psalm puts it. Lord, if you should mark iniquities... Who could stand? In other words, it says, uh, if the Lord was taking an account and is marking things down in a book, you may have marked certain things down. You may have gone out and counted on a night how many stars that you could see. Or you may go out and count how many grasshoppers you can catch. Well, the idea of marking things down has that idea, only this time it is the Lord who is inspecting and the psalmist says, and we say with the psalmist, God, if you were to count all of these and record them, who could stand? Well, no one could. You couldn't and I couldn't. There is no one who could stand in the presence of a holy God. Psalm 130 acknowledges the terrible dilemma of our situation. Without a Savior, we are lost in our sins. We are dead in them, overwhelmed in the waves. And the just and holy judgment of God stands against us. And there is no escape from that. That's bad news, isn't it? I will go on to the good news, but not yet. I want to pause here and and urge you to think carefully and deeply about the depths of your sin and the judgment of God against it. Remember that the Psalms are poetry and, and poetry prompts you to pause and and to reflect on what is being said. The words that are used are carefully chosen to make you think of some certain things. And remember that poetry also has a design to move your emotions. And so I, I want I want your emotions to be moved by the desperation that this psalm begins with. God, hear my voice as I cry to you. Don't plug your ears to my desperate situation. Think and feel the weight of your sin and the judgment of God against that. Far too often, we have grown callous to the depths of our sin. Far too often we become cavalier about our condition before God. And far too often I think our culture just tries to bypass the subject of sin altogether. And It may be that you today are even doing that. Oh, there goes pastor again, preaching on the subject of sin. Why is he so heavy on this? What's up with that? Doesn't he know it makes me feel bad? Well, it does make you feel bad, doesn't it? And I hope it makes you feel bad. Because if it does, it means you're alive. And that something in these words is weighing on your heart. And my prayer is today that as you read and sing these words, that if if you are weighed down by that conscience, by an awareness of your sin, that you would hear that your condition is worse than you even imagined. It is. It's not just that you feel bad. It is that you are bad. And without Christ that you stand under his judgment forever and ever. And it is worse than you could ever imagine it. And I want you to feel that. Because there is good news that the psalm gives. The psalm leads us to confess our sin to God. And God responds by saying that our sins are forgiven. So the second step in this psalm, out of the depths I have cried, is that I cry for mercy and forgiveness. And that cry is answered by the good news of Jesus Christ. The Lord has provided a way of escape. Listen again to verse 4. Having confessed our sin, it says, but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. Uh, This is the cross of Jesus Christ, his resurrection, his ascension, all wrapped up in this psalm, presented to you. There is forgiveness with God in Jesus Christ. That's what this psalm is about. I'm going to spend the most time on this verse. It's the central verse of this psalm. In a sense, it's the central verse of the entire scripture. That we are sinners and that God has provided a way of forgiveness by sending his son, Jesus Christ, that we might fear him, that we might worship him. We are all sinners, and God does not just wink at our sin and let it pass by. Instead, since he is holy and he is just, he punishes sin to its fully and everlasting end. But there is forgiveness, says Psalm 4. There is forgiveness with God. And the good news is that God sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross, to pay the penalty that we deserve. If you trust in Jesus Christ, then the Lord takes that burden of guilt that is on your back and he gives it to Jesus who takes it to the cross and pays for it there. And in return, what do we get? We get forgiveness. We get the righteousness of Christ. We get the the deal of the century, of the millennium, of forever. We get our sins forgiven and we are considered to be children of God as if we had never sinned. This is the promise that God gives. I want you to think of it in the context of the children of Israel. I want to set it right in the psalm of ascent that it is. Here come the children of Israel to celebrate the Passover. They're coming up to Jerusalem. Their eyes are lifted up to the hills where where they will meet with God. And they have sung and they have meditated on that invitation that God gives of the joy of coming to appear there. And yet they know in their own hearts that they come as a sinner needing forgiveness. And so they come confessing that as do we as we come to worship. And they come as we do and are singing and saying, God, we cry out to you. Hear our voice of repentance. And from that hill and from that worship comes the response, there is forgiveness with God. And with that promise, their steps and our hearts are encouraged and strengthened to come and appear before the Lord. Because there is forgiveness. We do not stand condemned. And the psalm uses a couple of things to describe this in ways that the the English translation muddles just a little bit. And I want you to to hear these ways that the psalm in verse 4 says this. First of all, uh, it says Literally, it says, with you, forgiveness. It drops off the verb, and it's a device in certain languages to bring together what is said first and second as if they are, uh, are identical. You know, in English, we don't do that. We use other things to communicate that we add more and more words, but there's a simplicity in the Hebrew language when it drops out the verb that connects that that just jams these two things together. With you, forgiveness. And this is what God is. God forgives. You can count on it because that's part of who he is, that's part of his nature, that he is full of love and compassion to his children such that he would send his son to accomplish what is promised. So there's no question about whether or not it might happen. With you, forgiveness. It's identical. And it's going to be repeated later. With you, mercy. With you, plentiful Redemption. And the Hebrew uses that to impress upon you the reality of what God gives you in Jesus Christ. The second thing is that the word forgiveness has has attached to the end of it a suffix that intensifies the word. Now, we we do do this in English. If you want to intensify the word big, you add er onto the end. There's something that's big. Well, something is bigger. And if it's it's the best, you put EST on the end. It's the biggest. Uh, In this case, we have forgiveness or -er. (laughs) forgiveness-er. Or in this case, forgiveness-est. It is the best. It is... Super-forgiveness, for lack of a better way of saying it. With you, forgiveness est. Again, let me pause and urge you to let this sink in to your souls. I want you to hear... The resounding declaration that this is. God addresses your fear, he discre- addresses your your despair at your lack of sanctification. He addresses He addresses the panic that you might feel. If you are not yet in Christ, he addresses that panic by inviting you, by compelling you to come to him who offers forgiveness, free and full forgiveness. The rest of scripture makes this clear, that God wipes away all of your sins. I read earlier from 1 John chapter 1. And I remind you that if you confess your sins, God is faithful, God is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Or think of Ephesians 1 that I read as our call to worship. In him, that's Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. This is the promise that God gives to you. That in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And he forgives you now. He forgives you now, not later. When you come to him in faith, when you cry out to him in desperation for mercy, you immediately pass from death to life. To use the theological language, God justifies you. Immediately, it's not something that's waiting for uh, for your death or for Christ's second coming or some eternity where God holds in abeyance what He's going to say, waiting to see if you will persevere into the end. No, right now, as you believe in Jesus Christ, you have forgiveness of sins. You are justified. Your burden of sin is given to Christ and his righteousness is given to you. With God, there is forgiveness of sins. Which leads us to this next rising step of ascent in Psalm 130. I wait for the Lord. Verses five and six also rise up out of the depths. They lead you to wait for the Lord. Now, I know that waiting today might have a variety of different uh, implications for you. When I think of waiting, I think of an interruption. I'm busy doing something and a traffic light stops me, so I have to wait, I'm inactive. Or it may be that... uh, uh, it may be that there's a phone call that, that interrupts uh, an important task. Waiting interrupts our busy plans and uh, our busy lives. But here, I want you to understand that, that waiting is actually an act of faith. It comes through in what the psalm goes on to say. The poetry uses the idea of a watchman waiting for the morning. It says, my soul waits for the Lord. In his word, I hope more than those who watch for the morning. And then it repeats. Here's some of that poetry again. Repetition is to help you to meditate on this this word picture. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. So let's do that. Let's I want you to imagine that you are in a a dark and terrible night here it's describing a watchman someone on a city wall that is guarding against the enemy maybe there have been attacks throughout the night and those attacks can be extra terrifying just because of the dark because of the unknown origins and a variety of things. So you eagerly wait for the morning to come. That way you can see where the attacks are coming from. That way you feel safe. So a watchman is eagerly waiting for the dawn. So too, we wait on the Lord. We yearn to see the promises that God has made for our lives We wrestle to be reassured about the forgiveness of our sins. But we do so actively, not uh, not as if we were doing nothing. We're waiting, like those watchmen, straining to see the first lights of the day in the east as the, the color of the sky starts to change They are given hope as they watch. And in a similar way, by faith, we are waiting on the promises of God to be fulfilled. And we wait full of those promises, full of faith. We take God's word and his promises in our hand and in our heart, and we look for those. We remind ourselves of those. And maybe to the other watchman on the wall, we might elbow each other and say, See, look, here comes the dawn. There it is. And by the way, those promises are sure to come just as sure as the sun comes up tomorrow. Right? I don't want you to have a little orphan Annie in your mind, but the sun will come out tomorrow, right? Now, the sun will rise. Barring the coming of Jesus Christ, the sun comes up tomorrow. And you can count on the promise of God to forgive your sins. It's as sure as the sun coming up day by day. As you wait for the Lord and as you sing this psalm, meditate on that watching and waiting and uh, Take these words and encourage the watchmen around you with similar hope. Encourage your heart, for the Lord has stooped down to communicate these powerful promises that He does forgive your sins. Finally, hope in the Lord. This goes well with that idea of waiting, and I was reminded of this this morning from the class that Bill was teaching about uh, Abraham and his faith. Go back and listen to the uh, to the, uh, the context of justification, the promises of God, and the faith of Abraham. And from Romans, it says that Abraham was fully convinced that what God has promised he will surely do. And isn't that faith? Isn't that what? psalm 130 is all about that what god has promised he will surely do so we wait in faith and we wait in hope and verses seven through eight close the psalm giving something of a summary and then the imperative wait upon the lord the summary is this that with the lord there is mercy with him there is abundant redemption remember that it uses that, uh, that powerful language item, with you, mercy, with you, abundant redemption, just so you understand and you can meditate on that identity. And after speaking of, uh, of that summary, he says he shall redeem Israel from all of his iniquities. The Lord is the one who promises and has accomplished a plentiful redemption for all of you who are in Jesus Christ. and In light of that summary, Saul, verse 8 gives the imperative or something of a charge. We might put, put it something like this, based on the mercy of God, based on the abundant redemption, on the forgiveness he has given, based on the promise which he is sure to fulfill, I charge you hope in the Lord. Against all hope, God has provided you mercy in Jesus Christ. Coupled with the waiting on the Lord of the previous verses, we can see the wonderful progression, the ascension that this psalm gives to us. We come penitently to the Lord. Out of the depths, we cry to him. And the Lord responds by pronouncing that there is forgiveness. Through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we rest, we receive and we rest in Jesus Christ, and we hope in the word that He has given to us. I want to close with the these closing words, actually not from the Psalm, but from the entirety of the Scriptures, as reminded of the close of Revelation twenty two. I want you to hear these verses that describe the hope, the waiting, the longing, the yearning that we have to see our Savior face to face. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come, come, And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take water the water of life freely. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Lord, our hearts are longing for you. We do cry out to you as your spirit convicts us of our sin. We cry out to you in repentance. We do so regularly because in this life we do still sin. We're embarrassed by that. We're shamed by that. We're fearful because of that. And so, Lord, hear our cries of repentance. And I pray, O Lord, that you would communicate to us the wonderful promise of the good news of forgiveness of sins in Jesus. God, I pray for the man or woman, the boy or girl here today, who may be hearing this in a new way for the first time and in acknowledging that they are not a Christian. They are not trusting in Jesus. No, God, I pray that, that by your spirit, that you would take away any self-deception that they have. They would feel the force of the words of Psalm 130 and recognize the desperation of the condemnation that stands against them. And at the same time, O Lord, I pray that you would grant them eyes to see the Savior Jesus Christ, and that you would stoop and save them from their sins. Grant them the grace and the faith to cry out to you, O Lord, save me. We thank you, O Lord, for our Savior Jesus. Even so, Lord, come quickly. In his name we pray, amen. Let's sing these words together. Psalm 130, Selection A. Please stand to worship the Lord.